I want to um, start this morning by um, just sharing with you a little story about my mum. She uh, emigrated from England with her family when she was 18 and went to Wollongong, which is about 80 k's south of Sydney. And she met my dad, and that is where my brothers and I grew up. And for the whole time of, of uh, my married life in Queensland, where Chris and I have been married, um, she and Dad used to come up and uh, spend time with us. After my dad died in 2004, Mum continued to come up and, and it, she would come for a significant period of time, either about six to eight weeks every year. And she really loved those weeks. She involved herself in our church she was part of a Bible study group and just got into normal life here as she had in Wollongong. In 2012, uh, she was staying with us to be here for our son's wedding, which was a very exciting time. And then at the end of that, she was uh, to fly to Canberra for another granddaughter's wedding, my niece. Uh, and uh, so that was to be her February. So we had the wedding. And a couple of days into the next week, she was getting ready to be picked up to go to Bible study, and uh, I heard a noise. And then a couple of minutes later, I heard groaning. She'd had a massive stroke. Uh, she ended up in hospital for six weeks, in rehab for another six weeks. But unfortunately, neither of those rehab interventions did any good. And she en she's ended up with a life of uh, never walking again. Uh, she's got only her left arm functioning. Her speech did return, thankfully. Uh, she never returned to Wollongong. So for her church and her friends and neighbours down there, Mum just effectively disappeared into thin air. And for her, life drastically changed in that one day. Independence, gone. Driving, gone. Her own home, gone. Eating. Now her food has to be all cut up and she uses a fork in her non-dominant hand. Uh, and for toileting, showering and dressing, she's all now dependent on two other people and a hoist each time. And with us having moved away from Petrie two years ago, she sees less of me now than she used to. Now, I'm not sharing this with you so you'll feel sorry for my mum. I'm sharing it because, from her perspective, what I hear her say is, I'm content. I'm content. I'm okay. She's certainly ready for the Lord to take her, really ready, which he's not doing yet, but she's content. Paul says to the Philippians, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Now, what an incredible thing to be able to say, and I remind you again from a prison cell. An incredible thing to say from a prison cell. And I believe Paul can say it because his attitude is directly tied to chapter 3, where he says, you'll remember, I hope, all things are garbage compared to knowing Jesus. It's all 
garbage. And I think it's also tied to chapter 2, as we understand the incredible humility of Christ as he left the glory of heaven and came to be a servant on this earth. How can you not be content if you've come to the point in your life where you know that Jesus is your enough? Jesus is your enough. When you acknowledge that the Lord of all prioritised us, you and me, when he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it's interesting to note that Paul isn't saying that he knows this contentment just from one perspective. He's not saying this because he's experienced poverty. He's not saying this because he's experienced wealth. He can truly say it because he's experienced both. And he knows that in either situation, there simply cannot be true contentment without Jesus Christ. And because he has Jesus Christ as his first priority, he can be content in whatever circumstance he finds himself. You see, his contentment is not dependent on circumstances. In fact, it is totally independent of circumstances. Contentment isn't a natural thing, is it? I, I reckon we're naturally discontent, aren't we? I think it's called sin or greed or selfishness. Contentment needs to be learned. So what is the secret? Well, it's an open secret because Paul tells us what it is. He says, I've learned the secret. Oh, and here it is. He can do it all through Christ who gives him strength. Have you uh, noticed the fact that you are not self-sufficient? Has it dawned on you yet? Has the light come on? <laughs> we like to think we're self-sufficient, don't we? In fact, we're taught by society to be self-sufficient. Do you remember the era a few decades ago where uh, people in droves uh, gave up their jobs in the city, sold their house and moved to the hobby farm? To be what? Self-sufficient. Doesn't appear to be as popular a thing these days, I don't think. I think being self-sufficient is a misnomer. Paul tells us that, we can, that he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. This doesn't mean that he can do whatever he feels like doing as if he's a superhero. That's not what he's saying. And when we say that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, it doesn't mean that we can walk on water or win a race in the Olympics or have a perfect family. Paul's secret is not that he can do all things. Paul's secret is that wherever he finds himself, whatever challenge he comes up against in life, whatever persecution or hardship or joy or blessing, he can handle it well because Jesus Christ gives him the strength to handle it well. I can do this with Jesus. His contentment is only in Jesus. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength.
The world we live in today is a world that oozes discontent. In fact, I think it encourages discontent. We are taught to have an attitude of dissatisfaction and restlessness, aren't we? Even when we have plenty, we're taught to be dissatisfied. Our society is driven by greed and that has destroyed gratitude. It's destroyed contentment. Giving has been replaced by getting. Even to the point where I think it's become a right to have. I deserve it. It's my right. Paul's words to us are words of rich encouragement. He teaches us that it is possible through a deep relationship with Jesus Christ to be content. To be able to say that when I've had enough, Jesus is enough. Paul can speak these words to us because of his personal experience. The situations that he faced in life meant that he knew what this world offers is insufficient for contentment. It is only through a relationship with Jesus that we can rest. If Paul had to learn the secret of joy and contentment, let's not delude ourselves that it comes naturally. But let's take encouragement from him that if he learned it, perhaps there's hope that we too can learn. Now, as we come to the end of this little letter, I think we're getting to the point of seeing where this beautiful relationship comes from that Paul had with this church. I think this letter was written to say, thank you, thank you. And here's where he says, thank you. The Philippians gave to Paul, fulfilling both his physical and his emotional needs. Yes, they sent gifts, but they also sent a person, Epaphroditus. And this relates back to uh, the topic we had in week one as we looked at that, that chapter about partnership. The gospel call to partnership was evident as Paul talked about the sharing and the affection there was between them. Now, over this past week, as I've been preparing, I've had a bit of a tussle with myself. I've argued with myself. Because I think I now disagree with the title I gave the sermon. The Gospel Call to Give. Maybe disagree isn't quite the right word, but I certainly wish I'd given it a different title. Because I don't think this is a Gospel Call to Give at all. How about that? Cross it out. I think this is actually a gospel call to generosity. See, these Philippians were generous to Paul to a T. And it is obvious here from what Paul says that they have been generous from the beginning. In verse 10, Paul says, At last you renewed your concern for me. He's not saying, At last. <laughs> wow, what took you so long? At last. He's not saying that. He's saying how good it is that they were eventually able to show their ongoing concern. They were always concerned. They'd never stopped being concerned, but they hadn't been able to show it. And now at last, when they could, they did. And what joy. The Philippians generously gave to Paul on several occasions. In fact, Paul points out that they shared with him when no other church had. 
You see, the reason I want to change my thinking on this from it being a gospel call to give to being a gospel call to generosity is because giving is something that we do or don't do. Generosity, now that's about who we are. That's about character. And what does a generous spirit do? It gives. This is where I had a little conversation with myself. But it was a helpful conversation. I hope it's helpful for you too. Paul's relationship with the Philippians is a relationship of mutual giving and receiving. He says that in verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Did you notice what he said there? In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when they were babes in Christ, when they were babes in Christ, he's saying they already had the wonderful gift of generosity at that point. What a testimony to the sufficiency of Christ that had changed them. Paul isn't saying that he's craving their gifts. He's saying that he actually wants them to have more and more of Christ, more credited to their account. And their gifts given from that beautiful and generous spirit is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And look at verse 19. Look what happens when generosity shapes us. Paul says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So friends, how's your generosity quotient at the moment? What are the opportunities around you for your generous spirit to be at work, for this gospel call to give, to rise up and be what characterises you? What are the opportunities around you? Yes, there's always opportunities to give financially. There's always opportunities to give your care and love to those around you. But I would hazard a guess and say that to be able to grow in generosity more and more can only be a characteristic if we say with conviction and joy, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He is my enough. So let's wrap up the series, hey? We're at week eight. Week one was about the gospel call to partnership, where we saw Paul extolling how much he appreciated the fellowship and the partnership of the Philippian church as they worked together. Week one, I hope you, I hope you can remember back, week one was the week that I encouraged you to be praying gospel prayers for each other. Do you remember that? Gospel prayers for each other. 
that our love might abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we can discern what is best and be filled with righteousness. Are you still praying those prayers for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because if you're praying for others, others are praying it for you and we expect God to answer it. Don't stop praying those prayers just because week one's gone, just because the series is over. Keep praying gospel prayers for each other. Week two was about the gospel call to proclamation and that Paul wasn't worried about who was preaching Jesus as long as Jesus was being preached. It was that week where we heard Paul say that whether he lived or died, Christ was his focus. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Week three was about humility and we spent time in the beautiful chapter two where we tried to grasp the concept that Jesus, God, became human, put skin on and took on the form of a servant. But the glory of that is that God exalted him and now every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Week four was all about the call to sacrifice, obedience and doing everything without grumbling or arguing. You remember that? (laughs) And we had that magnificent image of shining like stars as we hold firmly to the word of life. In week five, we looked at what we cling to as the basis of our faith, what we regard as treasure and what we regard as rubbish. And uh, we saw how Paul's reputation and education and status was incredible treasure in the eyes of the Jewish world. But as he knew Christ, he found it was utter garbage. Garbage. In week six, we noted that perseverance was the key as we forgot what lies behind and strained toward what is ahead to the goal of the prize for which God is calling us heavenward. And last week we looked at the gospel call to joy. That we can be unified in vision so that we rejoice in the Lord. And Paul encouraged us to use our minds well because thinking matters. Thinking matters and we are to think on things that are good and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And today we end with gospel generosity. When we rejoice in the Lord, seeing how Jesus willingly humbled himself, the contentment that becomes ours spills out of our generous hearts and we become characterised by this new way of living. I'm going to take you back to week one again because I began this series by saying to you that I didn't want this to be just another series of sermons where I learned a bit more about the book of the Bible and went... I know a bit more about Philippians now. (laughs) Do you remember me saying that? That I really wanted this to speak into my heart and to bring transformational change because of what I was learning. And I invited you to make that commitment too. And I think there were lots of heads nodding in week one. Have you seen transformational change? Are you still looking for more? Keep reflecting on it. I found it very challenging as I've refreshed myself in this familiar book. And I trust, too, that your 
self-reflective practices have grown week by week as you commit to growth. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for opening up this letter to us over these weeks. May we open ourselves up to you more and more each day that you might build us up in partnership, proclamation, humility, sacrifice, faith, perseverance, joy and giving. Thank you for Jesus, who did not consider equality with you something to be held on to, but emptied himself. And thank you that at the name of Jesus, every knee will one day bow and that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with us all as your people. Amen.